My name is Nathan LaRude. I'm an Episcopal priest living and working in Portland, Oregon. This last summer, I was on sabbatical, and I had been doing a lot of reading and writing and thinking about bodies. It was around the time of the Supreme Court's ruling in the Dobbs case, the ruling that overturned the constitutional right that women have had in this country for 40 years to an abortion. And I'm ashamed to admit, my first reaction was anger, and then relief that because I was on sabbatical, I would not have to be the one to climb into the pulpit the following Sunday and say something about this ruling. I thought, who needs another cis white guy's perspective on this issue? The voices that needed to be centered, I believed then and believe still, are the voices that are most affected by this ruling and what it will mean. So I was thinking a lot about bodies. It was June. June is traditionally Pride Month in the queer community. And I had posted a couple pictures on social media that showed a little bit more of my body than my congregation was used to seeing. That month I was staying in Provincetown, Massachusetts. It's a, it's a magical little town on the very tip of Cape Cod. It was summer, it was pride, I was on sabbatical, I was feeling myself, and I was getting ready to turn 40. And for the first time in my life, for the first time in 40 years, I was proud of my body and what it looked like and what it felt like to walk around in it. For generations, Provincetown has been kind of a safe harbor for gay men and the people who love them. People know what kind of stuff goes down in P-Town. It's, it's a little bit different than the stuff that goes down in the world governed by straight folks. Provincetown is one of the places marked off, curated for decades, where queer people have expressed ourselves in all of our fullness. And sometimes that meant wearing less clothing than we can get away with in our buttoned-up straight-passing lives. Many of us who find our way to places like P-Town grew up with some deeply ingrained shame. That shame was written on our bodies. It was inscribed by a society that labels us in public by what we do in private. So before I was ever conscious of the word sexuality and what it meant, I learned the hard way that there was something about my body and what it wanted that could get me into trouble. Something that needed to be hidden and boxed up and kept under lock and key. I learned how to thrive in all kinds of closets. I learned how to lie as I navigated the more dangerous spaces of a, a body-obsessed, youth-obsessed, sex-obsessed culture. I learned how to hide in locker rooms and public showers and pools and beaches and doctor's offices and dance floors. And then I discovered P-Town, or could have been Chelsea or the Castro or whatever deliberately queer space allowed me the freedom to remember what my body has always known deep down. That when I stop hiding, when I stop carefully tending to my shame, when I stop lying, my body is capable of so much joy. So I was thinking about bodies. I was showing a little bit more of mine, and I was getting into some trouble with some folks in my congregation who were a little bit upset with what I was doing, who felt it was inappropriate for a man of the cloth to be quite this ostentatious, quite this queer. And then the Dobbs decision happened. And I realized that I, I did have something that I wanted to say about bodies, not just my body, but all of the bodies that make up Christ's body, especially the bodies whose uteruses are once again up for public debate, bodies that have borne since time immemorial the projected fears and desires of men. 
And then all of the other bodies, all of the, the queer and non-binary bodies, all the trans and fat and skinny and non-normative bodies, the differently abled bodies, all the bodies that people in power have always been trying to control and legislate, all of the bodies that this church I have devoted myself to serving seems still chronically unable to see, let alone to understand and cherish. What I realized is that after 20 years of defending a queer reading of scripture, a progressive ethic of human sexuality against every conservative Christian who came for me, I just don't care anymore about the pushback. I don't care what conservative Christians have to say about queer bodies and queer desires, the, the question of full inclusion of queer people and our particular ways of being in the world at every level of leadership in this church. I am not willing to apologize any longer for the choices I make about my body, with whom I share it, how I choose to show up inside it. I am not willing to lie, and I'm not willing to hide any longer. And my experience, as I have risked sharing more and more of the person I really am with my congregation, my experience has been that the more honest I am and the more transparent I'm willing to be about what it's like to live in this body, the more safety and support I feel, the closer I feel to people who care about me, the closer I feel to God. When I stop lying and when I stop hiding, that is when I feel most connected to the one who made me. And so finally, Christmas is here. And Christmas is all about bodies, all the way down. What it means when God inhabits the narrowness and the freedom of a human body, when God walks around with flesh on, what it looks like when God has hands and feet and eyes and ears and a nose and, and the other parts that we don't generally think are appropriate to talk about in church. But God is in all of it, right? There is, there is no part of the human body that God thinks is inappropriate for church, because when God comes into a human body, God makes the whole thing holy. No exceptions. There is no part of me that is a problem for God. There are parts of me that are a problem for other people, and I am trying to get better at being understanding and gracious about that. But I also want to be really clear. There is no human body that is foreign to God. There is no human embodied experience that is inappropriate to talk about in church. God is a part of all of it, even the painful, horrible, scary parts. When I let another person see those parts of me, it is almost always a moment of profound grace. I think that's how I'm saved. So that's the hunt that I'm on, watching for God to show up in the faces and the laughter and the tears and the stories of people who are like me and people who are very much unlike me, bodies who turn me on and bodies who confuse me, this vast panoply of bodies that together make up this incredible thing that is the body of Christ. He says, take this and eat it. It's not just bread. It's flesh, he says. It's blood. This is my body. It's the, the saddest, sexiest, most scandalous thing we say in church, and we say it every dang week. This is my body, which is given for you. This body is yours now. Take it, eat it, drink it, touch it, smell it, savor it. Eucharist, I think, is meant, first of all, to be a pleasurable experience. It's a, it's a sensual experience. Before we wax theological about the incarnation and Eucharistic theories, I think it starts by touching the bread, tasting the bread, feeling Christ's body on my tongue. 
This is how my Savior comes to me. He comes on my lips, on my tongue, in hands that touch and eyes that meet and, and bodies that collide, ritually, right, respectfully, always with consent. But let's not kid ourselves. We are playing with fire in church. We're playing with bodies. They're the most powerful tools we've got. It's the site of my most painful wounds, and it's the site of my deepest pleasures. It's all bodies, all the way down. Take this. Eat this. Let this be, now, a part of your own body. This is how much I love you. Advent for Every Body is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. To learn more, go to www.trinity-episcopal.org.